Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, we've got a great uh, word for you this morning, and so I ha- my heart is that you'd open your minds to God, what He wants to speak to you about. And we've been saying this, this phrase for the last few weeks, create space for faith. Um, and last week, I, I, dis- I sort of described how I really believe God spoke to me in regards to creating space for faith. Um, and if you weren't here, you can go watch that online. It actually came from the most insignificant moment, playing basketball. And, and I love that God will speak to you in those moments that you think are insignificant. But if you pay enough attention, He's talking in all moments. And I just walked away and I was like, wow, God, you're really changing my heart in, re- in relation to creating space for faith. And this morning, we want to talk about a few different ways as a church and individually, we can create space for faith and what that actually means to us. And now I know it's a nice phrase and it has that sort of M&M rhyme because we're not rhyming the last of the, the words, we're rhyming the middles of the word. Does it make sense? The middle syllables, we're saying space, faith. Yep, it's cool. <laughs> Come on. I'm going I'm to twist it at the end. You're going to be like, this guy's amazing. <laughs> and then we'll party. But we're going to talk about this, you know, and I, I spoke about that whole idea of don't despise small beginnings. You know, one of the things that I get really upset with in church, and I've been a culprit of this, and I've been really focusing and, and disciplining myself to not do this as much, is that we, we quote Scripture in a manner that is is to meant to instill faith, but we use it as a way to really hide behind or give ourselves an excuse. So we say things like, don't despise small beginnings because something's terribly small in front of you. <laughs> and we're trying, to, we're trying to manipulate the setting. But this is not what God wants when we say that. Actually, when he says, don't despise small beginnings, and then he says, the Lord rejoices in it, we've then got to invert that and go, we should rejoice in small beginnings because the Lord has allowed it to happen. And if we're following the Lord, then we shouldn't necessarily be going, okay, let's say this to to make ourselves feel okay. Let's live this so that we have authority and power in what he's asked us to live. See, small things are great. We want to celebrate this morning because uh, our community engagement pastor, Daniel Finmore, and his wife, Rachel Finmore, uh, welcomed the second Avant Life baby in our history called Judah last week. And, and it's, it's incredible to watch people actually go out, go forth and multiply in the exciting ways that God has given us. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we did a great series on love, sex and marriage that I happily will educate you on the birds and the bees. But, but we get excited when we see small beginnings. I look at Judah. He's so incoherent. He just he sleeps most of the time or he cries during the night, which I don't mind, but it does remind me. Uh, that I don't want kids anymore. <laughs> New kids, that is. I love my kids. <laughs> but sometimes the jury's out on that too. But anyway. <laughs> but I look, I'm like, pretty useless. <laughs> babies are pretty useless, right? Small babies are like, what do they do? Nothing but keep you up, keep you busy, stress you out. Yet for some reason, just one look at that child and you're like, oh, I'm so unloved. And you just rejoice over that. And I look at that picture and I go, that's exactly what God means when he says, don't despise small beginnings. Because when he looks at it, he sees this brand new child that's completely incoherent, useless for what we think we need to be useful for. Can't feed ourselves, can't walk, can't talk, can't communicate what's on our heart. 
but he rejoices in that like a father and mother rejoices over a brand new child. How exciting is that? I love that because when God calls me out into something, it's always going to be a small beginning and he's always going to approach it as a, as a brand new parent would approach a small child. Like, like then, if that's the concept, I want to step out on small new things all the time because God's then going to grace me as a child. Yet we want to grow up so quick. Who here is an adult and sometimes looks back and go, I wish homework was the hardest thing in my life right now. Right? So don't despise small beginnings. But I say that because we're going to talk about this because when we create space for faith in our life, it starts with the small things first. And so we're going to talk about the first point. The first point is I want you to understand that Christ came so that we would have conversation with him and how we can create space in our heart for him. See, as Christians, we never arrive. We know this. Romans speaks about it. It says, hey, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Our righteousness is but filthy rags. And there's this onus on us to keep trying to achieve and be transformed through Christ into perfection, knowing that we'll only meet our full glory in eternity. So we still try, but the reality is we only come close and we only fulfill this in and through what Christ has done, not ourselves. And so the, 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 the onus is on us to keep learning, keep growing, keep allowing Christ to transform us from the inside out. Sometimes that happens in hardship. And I tell you what, the amount of Christians I know, including myself, we run to God and we should, don't get me wrong, when things are hard. But things are good. God's like my mom, I forget to call. Then every once in a while, I get a passive aggressive text. You know, if people are, it's true, they exist, right? Hey, my mom, she'll be like, group text all the kids, and she'll be like, it'd be nice if you guys talk to each other more. <laughs> I'll just leave that conversation. <laughs> do you, do, I'm joking, I don't leave those conversations, I just don't respond because I feel guilty. But at the end of the day, we come to God when it's hard, but the conversation should be when things are going good. See, a great empire, if you were to equate your life to an empire, or something that is expanding does not grow on the back of constantly only dealing with responses. It's proactive. It's preemptive. It's the one setting the agenda. And so the reality is, is that if we stop having conversations with Christ in our heart about creating space for faith, we, we are ceding over to the enemy or to the world the ability of the preemptive walk. And we become responsive in our faith, not preemptive in our faith. So therefore, we're always just going to God when we're in trouble rather than seeking God for more ground. And see, when he says, hey, I want to stretch open your tent pegs, I'm going, to, I'm going to increase your territory, that requires us not to sit on our behind and ask God to do all the work. That requires us to step up and inherit what he's provided for us, which requires creating space in our heart. And so I say this to you, there is a young, rich ruler in the New Testament we're going to read about, and he has this, he has this amazing interaction with Christ, and it leaves him, uh, you know, in a sad place, but it actually gives us a great opportunity to reflect on our own heart. And it's found in Mark 10, and I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm going to read different scriptures out of that story. But essentially, this is what happened. This rich young ruler, he runs up to Jesus and he says to him, hey, I know that you're a good leader. You're a good rabbi. Can you tell me how I could inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, it's quite interesting. He says, why do you call me good? And I'm like, well, okay, that's... That's a good question, Jesus. I just thought you were a nice guy. Jesus doesn't let him. Jesus answers his own question here. It's funny. It's like, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. And then he continues. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. And you should honor your father and mother. See, Jesus is quoting the law here, right? Because this young man's approached him with a problem and his heart condition is that I want eternal life. I want to make sure that I get where I want to be and that I'm protected and everything I've got is good. And so his question's actually flawed because it's still motivated by his finances. If you have finances and you realize that it can't buy you eternal life, you then pursue what can. And he's gone there with the wrong heart. But Jesus notices this because he says, uh, the, the, the rich young ruler responds to Jesus and says, teacher. And it says he declared. So it would have been like, ha look at me. All these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. <laughs> I sort of read that through my human eyes. And this is not Jesus at all. He's completely pure in his love. But it's, it's almost like, <laughs> I love you so much because you don't know. <laughs> You're so lost. (laughs) But continue. One thing you lack, Jesus said, I want you to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And I thought to myself, there was a conversation that took place here and it's a good conversation. It's a young man who said God to God, to Jesus, hey, God, I want to inherit eternal life. How do I do it? And Jesus said, create space for faith. That's all he said. And what, what was he doing? He says, I want to pull out of your heart all the corruption, which I'm going to require you to do in the physical act of giving everything away that you think is valuable, and then replace it with what is valuable and follow me. So it creates space in your heart for faith. And this young man's like, not exactly what I was looking for. And this is what I find interesting is he leaves that conversation downhearted and downcast. And one can only presume that he, he didn't reach his salvation if that was the end of his story simply because he couldn't create space in his own heart for Christ, for the faith that he pioneered and perfects. So in your own life, what is God speaking to you about? What is he asking you to get rid of in your own heart right now? What are you putting before him? What is separating you from what he wants you to inherit? You go, well, God's a God of grace, you know, and he's going to forgive me and it's going to be great. Don't get me wrong, I believe in all that. He is going to forgive you. And he does have grace for you. But there's also the earthly consequences of our decisions. Now, you have spiritual eternity with Christ, but there'll be still consequences here on earth. You can get into heaven, and this might terrify some of you, and never live the life God called you to live. But how graceful is that? That he would still allow us into heaven. But what terrifies me is that I want to live the life I was created to live. I want to carry the authority I was created to carry. I want to bring the love that God has instilled in me through Jesus. So I don't want that as an option or my only option. It's a great backup, but I don't want to live responsive. I want to live preemptive. So Jesus, what in my heart do I need to get rid of right now? What am I putting before you, Lord? What is stopping or taking up space in my heart that faith should take up so that I could see a miracle in my own life? Secondly, I really do believe that that the church needs to get its voice back in the, the market square. And I don't mean go out there, sit on your, or stand on your soapbox and preach to people. But I mean, I just mean a little bit of courage. Just like pray for somebody. You know, make a public declaration for your love for God or the impossibility of his nature. You know, I spoke in a 9 a.m. service and it's the whole idea of, you know, St. Francis is a CC. He goes, hey, 
preach the gospel, and if it's necessary, use words. And it's so powerful, and we're like, we love that. The only problem is most Christians apply that to their fear, not their faith. That's what's happening. He's 100% right, but he's talking like Mother Teresa live your life so people know the gospel. Not like I'm going to hide in my house and then hopefully they'll know that I love them through the casserole I make for them once every 10 years. Don't get me wrong, casseroles can bring revival. I've heard it. There's a story there. It can bring revival. It's crazy. Um, But at the end of the day, it didn't mean that we should lose our voice of confidence. See, I'm going to talk about this guy in the Bible. And to me, he's like the top gun of the Old Testament. His name's Elijah. Him as this like muscly dude who's just endowed with so much wisdom. He's so handsome because he's got a beard. I love this guy, right? Because um, there's a story that takes place. It's, called, it's in Mount Carmel. If you want to read along, it's 1 Kings 18. Um, and we're going to pick up the story later on in around chapter 22. But uh, essentially, this is what takes place. Elijah, he, uh, he's amazing because he's a hustler. And everyone's like, you can't really say that about a prophet. No, he hustles here. You should see it. He sets them up. When I was younger, I used to be a part of like military-style bands, like a snare drummer. Like we'd march, right? And you have to march with old people. And um, it's cool. Um, and, then, and then every once in a while, something cool would happen, and you'd have like a duel. You'd battle somebody, right? And that was fun. And you could hustle people to see if they were good or better than you. It's simple. I'm going to tell you how you do it, right? Because here, what happens is, Elijah says, whoa, okay, I'm the only prophet left of God. But there's 450 prophets of Baal. What has he just done? He's just acknowledged the space between him, his adversary, and the amount of faith required to create some form of movement. So he's not afraid at all. And this is what I mean. Like, you go, oh, Ben, my workplace is so hostile towards God. Was it 450 dudes trying to kill you? And did you go find them? Because that's what he did. I heard you want to kill me. Um, let's talk about this. Oh, you don't know. My family is so broken. Don't get me wrong. I've, I come from a broken family. I understand the pain. But at some point, I'm not going to be defined by that gap between me and the victory that God's got in my life. I'm going to allow myself, like, like, like Joel said, to serve the unchanging God. And when that unchanging force comes up against something that is fluid, I can tell you what's going to move. I always see God, and, and if we have a visualization of this, is that, that we can either be, you know, life and what we're doing with God can be a jackhammer, and where we are unmovable and we, we just shatter through things, or you can be jackhammered. You can be shaken around, thrown around, and look silly. I don't know if you've ever done jackhammering before, but yeah, your nerves all feel weird, right? But God doesn't want us to be moved like this. And so Elijah does this. He's like, I'm going to call you out. This is where the hustle begins. It's like, I'm going to call you out. Let's have a battle. Your God versus my God. Your altar versus my altar. Your prayer versus my prayer. Let's see what happens. And he says, meet me here. Back gate of the school. Let's go. So they all rock up at Mount Carmel. They're like, ooh, here we go. And he says, you go first because he's a good guy. That's how you know it's a hustle. (laughs) See, what we used to do when we do snare drumming We'd be like, you go first, bro. And then he'd play or she'd play. And you'd be like, it's good. And then you deliberately play just as good or slightly worse than them the second time. So you're saying, and they'd be like, yeah, this guy sucks. And so they wouldn't try as hard, but they'd do a bit better. And then you, then you pull out all stops, right? And you're like, you're licking sticks. And you're like, yeah, come on. <laughs> and they're like, I've just been hustled. 
you all seen Drumline, right? How cool is that? And then you play on their drum. <laughs> it's so cool. It's a drama thing. Anyway. He's like, you go first. And they're like, they're going first, right? And they're, they're, the Bible says they're marching around the altar and they're like crying out. They're, they're whipping themselves. They're hurting themselves. They're bleeding for no reason. I love Elijah. You just know the hustlers at work because he's like, maybe you should say it a bit louder. Maybe he's, a, maybe he's asleep. Maybe, he, maybe he's not paying attention. And he's, maybe he's in the drive-thru at McDonald's right now. And they get, you can just imagine being that person. You're like, bro, I'm bleeding here. Just give me some peace. Like, back it up. They try and try and nothing happens. So Elijah, he does what I've told you that he's going to do. He ups the ante. See, he creates even further space. So now his life is on the line. He's noticed that their God hasn't turned up because it's not a living God. And he's like, bring me some water. See, the challenge is, whose God can light the altar on fire? So he's decided, hey, fill up these four jugs of water and pour it on my altar after we've dug trenches. They do it, and he's like, do it again. And they're like, oh, okay, keep doing it. He's like, do it again. Three times they do it. And he's like, awesome. And this is what I love. His prayer is simple. He just says this, oh, Lord, would you please light the altar so the people would know that you're real and turn their hearts to you? Imagine being there when fire from heaven just pours down and just ignites, engulfs, and consumes everything. The Bible said, like, all of Israel are like, ah, wow, wow, that, wow. So you're telling me the same God that rescued us from, and the same God, the pillar of fire, God, and the cloud. Oh, it's all the same. Are you still alive? Can I honestly tell you that at some point in your life, God's going to ask you to be a voice in the public square and you're going to have to do it. And if you don't do it, it's not shame on you. Trust me, I'm not judging on that. But if you don't do it, think about what's at risk. If a simple public statement and prayer of God could turn a nation's heart back to God, what can he do through you? If you create that space in your workplace or create that space where you're getting your education from, or maybe you need that space in your family right now. But at some point, you're going to have to match your words up with your faith. You can't hide it. The Bible says, who lights a candle, put it under a basket, or stick it under your bed. How stupid is that? I know we love the, like, the really pretty gospel, and I wish I was better at it, but, man, if you read the Bible, some of that stuff that goes on there, it's like, wow. We're in a real fight. You're like, Pastor Ben, you don't realize how hard it is for me. I'm getting pushed on all sides. What if I get rejected? What if they don't like me anymore? What if life gets harder? I'm like, this is what I'm going to say to you. It's not what if. Jesus said, it is what's going to happen. But that's the job of the ones with sight to lead the blind. They're never going to be able to always see what you see. I'm a lead pastor. I often have to take teams to places they can't see. It's my job. And it requires creating space for faith and declaring in the public square what God can do. So this morning, let's declare that revival is coming to our city. And it starts with us. It starts with first the creative faith in our heart for space for him to turn up and that revival happening here. So that in the marketplace when we speak, we speak with authority and then revival happens there. 
And see, when that starts to stir, people start to travel from, the, from far off places like Langley. <laughs> because they hear what attracts people is not the music. What attracts people is not just the lovely, welcoming uh, host team, though that's amazing, or our kids' program where you can ditch your kids. What attracts people at the end of the day and changes their mindset, heals their heart, and repositions them with the Father is God, the move of his spirit and his transformational presence. And we, we summons that through his word. See, it's not without his word. It's through his word. That's the best thing. Because in and through the word, everything is created and everything sustained. We want revival. Let's start preaching revival. Let's start declaring revival. Let's start loving people as if it's revival. And watch as people come. Because this is what's going to happen. We're going to move on to the next story. It takes place in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has been ministering for a while now. And he's tired and he goes back to Capernaum. Hey, can I encourage you? Jesus got tired. He looked for rest. He looked for a time alone. But the Bible says that in that moment... Everyone heard that he was in Capernaum and they found him and they crowded him out and they were asking for miracles and healing. In this one house, it was so packed that you couldn't get in. And I love that you can read along if you want. It's Luke 5. These men hear that Jesus is in town and they have a friend who's paralyzed and they have this amazing reality check. They go, if we who can walk can carry he who is crippled to he who can make the crippled walk, we might see our friend inherit healing and freedom. Simple concept. So they pick him up, the Bible says, on a mat. They take him to the house. I love the detail here because it says that they try to get him in, but they couldn't find a way. It was so crowded. I'm going to take a pause here. If Jesus is in your life and he's moving and stirring and creating and transforming and the presence of God is real in your household, do not be surprised if a whole bunch of people want to come into your life and experience Jesus. Even when you're tired, even when you want your time alone, even if you think, hey, I just want my space. Understand this. That as Christians, we have been called to live lives that attract people into it, not repel people out of it. So when Jesus is tired, he still, the Bible says he showed compassion and ministered to them. See, it's not just my job to show compassion. And if it was, we're all in trouble. I rate really low on that gift. But I'm working on it. Mercy, on the other hand, scores really high. So that is humility. So we're moving along. <laughs> this is what I love. They can't get him in. It's so crowded. Jesus is doing his Jesus thing in the middle. It's almost like a party. People getting here. I'm walking again. It's great. He's saying some awesome stuff, changing lives, you know, shifting mindsets. They're like, we got to get him in there. Ever try to get into like a party when I was like before I was properly saved? <laughs> properly in my eyes. <laughs> when I left my Lord, for a while, and uh, I went to the nightclubs. The best nightclubs are always busy, and you had to hustle to get in there, right? And, and all that place was offering was death. <laughs> I 
right? So you can imagine this place where there's life and there's healing and restoration and freedom. It would have been buzzing. And so this is what I love about these friends. How are they going to fix the problem of not getting their friend to Jesus? What would your response be? Their response was vandalism. They just smashed through the roof. It's actually brilliant. I feel like in the world we live in today, we overcomplicate so much stuff. When I was uh, about, I was 19 years old, I lived in this city called Newcastle, north of Sydney in Australia. There was like a once in a century storm that washed this massive cargo ship over the reef onto our main beach right next to our CBD. It was weird because you didn't expect to see such a massive ship on our main beach right next to all the high-rise buildings. You're like, it's so weird. And this is what I love because in my head, you get any Aussie bloke, any mate, how are you going to get rid of that? How are you going to get your car out of a bog? Easy. Get another car, jam some wood in the wheel, pull it. That's how we think in Australia. Just pull it really hard. (laughs) It'll come out. Anyway, they're like, we're going to have to get some engineers from Denmark to get this boat off the beach because it's huge, right? And I'm like, this is, this is going to be amazing. What are they going to do here? They're going to do, guess what their fix was? Let's get 10 tugboats. Let's pull it. <laughs> That's all they did. And I was like, wait a minute, we paid dudes to come tell you that? Like, I could have told you that. We've all got our four-wheel drive stuck before. Just pull it. Their idea of dropping this dude through the roof, vandalizing a house, is brilliant. How do we get someone to Jesus? You mission impossible him down. And Jesus sees him and he's like, hey, this is what I love. I'm going to read it to you. It says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Take your mat and go. What is profound about that is that he acknowledges their faith, not the man paralyzed, the man who brought him, the man who created space, the man who decided that it was worth destroying a roof. Can I honestly tell you, you should be living an open roof Christianity. Allow people to drop in all the time to encounter Jesus because when they encounter that space you've created for faith, for Christ to operate in, they're going to receive healing, they're going to receive forgiveness, they're going to receive purpose and destiny, all because you simply allowed there to be a sunroof in your life. You like the sunroof call? Come on, that was good. Yeah, come on, that was good. It's a dad joke. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Create space for faith. It is a proactive statement. If you don't know Jesus, then my hope for you right now is the space you're creating is the journey of discovery. Would you at least try to discover in the Gospel of Matthew, this is an ancient writing. It says those who ask, those who seek, and those who knock will find He says, I've come to set you free through the truth, but that truth is received through the journey of discovery. This morning, we need to create space in our heart for transformation. We need to create space in the public square for faith and transformation. You need to create space in your life for others to be transformed. As church, we should be known for open house policy. Come as you are all your mistakes, all your pain, all your shame. Because guess what? We all have it. See, what I love is that 
that Jesus doesn't say, hey, can you create space so that I can point out all your problems, all the things you're doing wrong? He says, no, would you create space for me? See, when we create space for faith, what we are actually doing is allowing Jesus to invade that space, to invade it. You know, we can look at all these different stories about how different people have done different things in showing a great example of how we create space in different areas. But I love my Jesus so much that we're going to take the last point and we're going to look at how he created space. And I know we could look at lots of different areas. Do you know, at the Last Supper, you know, and Jesus breaks bread and he drinks the wine with it and he, he gives us the reality of us celebrating him in the bride. He also says that one of them are going to betray him and we, we find out that's Judas and he leaves and he goes to do that. See, you know, you might not be aware of this, but Judas was picked because one, he had issues, but two, he was the only one willing to sell out Jesus' whereabouts. See, not everyone knew where Jesus was all the time. Actually, if you read the Bible and the Gospels, he's pretty sneaky sometimes. Jesus can just like... They ever read that? It's like, and Jesus left Jerusalem and no one knew. <laughs> like, he walked through the crowd. <laughs> Just like Frodo Baggins with a cloak over him, right? <laughs> Jesus can be sneaky. But Judas knew where Jesus was going to be. And Jesus knew Judas knew. And so when Judas left to take payment for the betrayal, Jesus had a moment right there. He did not have to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. But the routine would have said he had to go. He could have changed his routine, but he chooses not to. He chooses to create space for faith and rendezvous with his betrayer. So we think Jesus was ambushed by people wanting to beat him. What they didn't realize was they were ambushed by a savior wanting to love. Think about that. They thought they were in control. They thought they were the ones imprisoning him, but the chains that they put on him and the whipping and the beating they gave him and the, the crown of thorns and the cross that was the space created for us, which he invaded for us, was his weapon of love. And this morning when we create space, we're creating that faith so he can invade it, so his love can win. We're not in the battle of military or empires. We're in the battle of transcending heaven and earth. And it requires good people to step up and say, my faith is creating this space so that the love of Christ can permeate and overcome. And he creates it. And he says, Judas, here I am. Come and get me. And I love the imagery that Judas gives him a kiss. And Jesus' response Do what you came for, friend. Oh, come on. If that's not authority, I don't know what is. Hey, bud, I know you're lost. I know you're broken. I know you're hurting. I'm in charge here. And right now, I've asked heaven to stand down. Because you can bet your bottom dollar, heaven was standing up ready to come. Because it's the darling of heaven. All the armies of angels ready to war. He says, stand down. Crippled friend, broken friend, lost, hurting friend, do what you do, do what you did. Come, hurt me, take me, betray me.
And I, I find that empowering because that's me. Jesus stares at me. And I think about that 12 years ago. And he said, Ben, you can now do what you came for because of what I came and did for you. And I said, Jesus, take me. Betrayer, sinner, rebellion. This morning, as we create space for faith, we're creating something far greater than just a nice cliche or a title or a catchphrase or a zing word. We're creating eternity for people to step into. And if that's not an urgency on your heart, then I pray this morning as we go back into worship, God would stir in you and give you vision like he gave Elijah's servant to see what is at stake this morning in our city. Can we rise up and go, you know what? No, life is insignificant. No, conversation is too small. No, act of kindness can go without being met. Come on, we can be more passionate about what God wants us to do. So when Isaiah wrote this, that he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sin, beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. That is our promise this morning. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avon Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.